So we're going to finish 1 Peter next week. This week, uh, as you can see, we have the Lord's Supper prepared. And so we're going to look at a passage, and it should be on the screen, 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to start around verse 17. But I want to focus on the verse that is found in verse 26. So if you guys can move it to verse the second set of passages. You'll see it up there. And let's stand. So this part from verse 23, if we go to the next one, next slide, thank you. This section here I always use for when we have the Lord's Supper. And uh, what I want to do is just focus on one verse and uh, talk about that for a second, read it, talk, pray about it, and talk about that one verse for a second. And then we're going to go back to verse 17 and uh, all the way down to verse 30 and look at all of this. There's a context here. That thing is going to show us some really important things about uh, what's going on. So this sermon I'm going to title, A Second Look. I'm going to take another look at the Lord's Supper. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, this morning we pray for your blessing. We pray for uh, you, Lord, to uh, speak to us through your word as it has been inspired by the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul. Help us, Lord, to see this morning and appreciate and acknowledge, Father, what matters. As we take a second look, another look, at uh, what, what it all means and why. And we pray, Lord, that it would be a grace uh, uh, of understanding to our lives. That by understanding it, we have this special grace that is poured out on our lives and our hearts. As we leave and go out into a world that's evil and cruel and merciless. But we have in our hearts an understanding in our relationship with you. Because of what you did for us at Calvary's cross. And we thank you and ask you. Be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is Paul. You may be seated. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth and sharing with them what he had received from the Lord, Jesus Christ. He wasn't there. Paul is uh, an apostle that was born out of season, according to his own words. He wasn't one of the original twelve. So he got this understanding and this revelation from Jesus himself after he had been uh, knocked off of that donkey on the road to Damascus and appointed the apostle to the Gentiles. And then he spent some, I believe uh, Galatians says, somewhere around 14 years in Arabia, being directly taught by Jesus. Isn't that amazing? How many of you knew that? Acts. You'll find it in Acts. Jesus dealt with Paul individually in the desert before he started his ministry. And he showed him what happened that night. That night that he was betrayed. That night that he had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Now, what was happening in Jerusalem? Well, the cross was near. Jesus had an appointment based on Passover. 
So this Lord's Supper that we celebrate, yeah, and I use the word celebrate, and I'll tell you why in a minute. In the New Testament, and as part of one of the, what we would call sacraments, for instance, baptism is also considered that, right? What we discover is that Jesus was going up to that upper room with his disciples because Passover was close. So the Lord's Supper replaces Passover because Passover took place that one time in Egypt when they were rescued. Remember the death angel came by and whoever had blood on the doorframe, the angel would, of death would pass over that household. But whoever did not have that blood on the doorpost, the firstborn would die. And that was the punishment that God had for Egypt for not letting Israel free. So the Passover speaks to us about the story of redemption. It speaks to us about salvation. It speaks to us about the blood of Jesus. You guys know that, right? They celebrated for thousands of years. Once a year. Once a year. Then when Jesus came, and when his time of appointment was due, he goes to the upper room, and he celebrates Passover, and then he says, this is my body. And then they took the bread, and they took the cup, right? We know that from that moment, he flees, they all leave, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and then of course everything unravels. The passion begins. Right? So this is a reflection. As Paul correctly says, Jesus is our Passover lamb. So we don't have Passover every year now. The Jews still celebrate it, by the way. The only problem is they don't have a temple. So they can't actually do offerings and sacrifices. Right? But we celebrate it, and it says, and we read the verse, as often as you eat it. And so how often is often? Well, we do it once a month. And someone might say, well, why? That's what we decided to do, myself and our elders. We decided we want to do it once a month. Can we do it every day? Go ahead. You could do it every day if you want to in your home. You, could do, you don't have to celebrate it here in church. You could do it on your own. I do all the time. You could do it once a week. You could do it every other week. You could do it once a year. It, there, it says as often as you do it. What? As often as you do it, what matters is not that you do it. Because remember the Pharisees, Jesus criticized them for their much babbling and prayer. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. But they said, hey, God knows what you need even before you ask. But they think for their much praying that they're going to be heard. That's religion. We're doing it because we understand the importance of it. So let me go into you with verse 17. Go back to verse 17 and tell you what was happening here with the Corinthians. It says this, from verse 17 to verse number 22, something was taking place in this particular church with the Lord's Supper. Okay? Paul is going to step in and write what he wrote here as a correction. Let me tell you this much. It's real easy for churches, for Christians, 
to take things that the Lord established and for us to modify them or to add to them and to do things that are not there, that are not required. And we want to call it, or we want to say that this is what the Lord has told us to do. No, he didn't. It's what you decided to do. We have exactly what we should be doing here. So look what happened in this church. By the way, let me note this too. There was not a church that Paul wrote to that was not more gifted than this church. They had more gifts than any other church. But guess what else they had? It's really funny how this works. They also had more carnality than any other church. They were more carnal than any other church. And they were in more error than any other church. Something happens when we don't understand how the gifts work. We begin to blame God for things that are our own doing. So here's what happened. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So he's not going to praise them for what they're doing. So he's going to give them instruction. The church needs instruction. Especially when they get off the path. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So they were coming together in fellowship for some reason. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And we may want to ask a question, well, what kind of divisions existed? We'll get to it. And I believe it in part. I like that because he didn't want to believe it, but that's what he had heard. So if it's true, then I'm going to write some instructions. Notice how he gracefully walks through this section. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Here's one of the things that happens with mistakes or errors in the church, either our actions or our doctrine, is that if there's someone there faithful to the truth, then it's going to divide the church because there's going to be those that are doing it right that will expose those that aren't. You see that being said? So here we go. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. This is happening in the church. So they came together, but they, they had this, and I'll get to it here in a second. They had this thing going on to where some people were eating ahead of the rest of the people. And not only that, some were going hungry, which means that they weren't participating in a fellowship. And we're going to find out in a minute why. And then at the same time, there were people getting drunk. Oh my goodness. <laughs> in the church. What? Verse 22. Do you see Paul going, huh? Like, how's that possible? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, and notice what he calls it, despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? For what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So he corrects them. When the Corinthians got together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, they had this fellowship dinner 
before the Lord's Supper, and it was called the Feast of Agape, or the Feast of Love. That's what they called it. Nowhere in scriptures did it say for them to do that. It would be like what we do, and what we're going to do on Thanksgiving, or at least in a couple weeks. We're going to have a fellowship. It's okay to have one, right? But careful with what you do with it. Here, they had this love feast, this agape feast. It followed, it then followed by the Lord's Supper. And there were people uh, there who were uh, getting drunk. There were others who were eating ahead of time. You know, it's rude to eat without everybody there. It's rude to not include everybody. But some people were going hungry while others were eating ahead of time. So, this isn't what the Lord wanted. This isn't why God established the Lord's Supper. It's a call for us to keep alive the memory of, of the benefits and the victory of Jesus at Calvary's cross. It was a way of us celebrating Christ's triumph at Calvary's cross. It's a happy occasion in spite of the fact that what happened at Calvary's cross was a solemn event. A tragic event. But we are the beneficiaries and we get to celebrate his victory over what he did at Calvary's cross. So it's not a place of sadness. I'm also going to tell you that it's not a place of guilt. And we'll see more of that in a minute. So in this particular church, it became an occasion for, guess what? Gluttony and excessive drinking. Yes, in the church. And we find that while there were those who had plenty of food, the rich, they weren't sharing it with the poor. So they caused divisions. Right? So apparently the wealthier members, and there are those people in the church, they were for whatever reason, and I'm going to say what it is, they were for their selfishness, and they were for their callousness, and they were for their lack of love, not willing to share with those that had nothing. So maybe someone came in with just beans and rice, and all they have is Jesus Christ. But then there were those who came in with steak and lobster. They didn't want to share it with the beans and rice people. So what does it do in the body? Divides. Completely opposed and diametrically opposed, if you will. The complete opposite of what the Lord wants. That's what was going on. And so these people who uh, would go ahead and eat their dinner without waiting for or sharing with the poor, they embarrassed them. So there's very little consideration here for fellowship, true Christian fellowship. Think about that for a minute. Certainly it's not a demonstration of unity. Certainly it's not a demonstration of love. And it's to never be something that the church practices, right? And as a matter of fact, whatever we do, like I am right now, I'm doing one thing only before we go take the Lord's Supper, and that's preparing your heart to think about Jesus. And the day I don't do that, go ahead and fire me. I'll leave out voluntarily. The day I get up out this pulpit and not point you to Jesus, please get together all the, the trustees and vote me out of here. I'm telling you to. And that's why we have such a small group. 
Because I'm not, I'm not willing to preach anything other than the gospel. And people can't stomach it. People can't chew it. Well, it takes a while to learn how to, but this group did not have a leader. And he allowed this. He let it happen. Can you imagine going to church, having to sit in a little corner over there with your little pot of beans, while over here there's another group of people just smacking on a big old lobster tail and dipping it in butter and lemon and going, mmm, that's so good. Hey, can you pass the wine? By the way, where's the keg? That's what was happening. Yeah. That's what they were doing. So Paul condemns it. And he corrects it. And he reminds the church of the true meaning and purpose of the Lord's Supper. So, this first verses 17 to 22 are his instructions. Then he gets to the Lord's Supper. You guys saw that, right? I'm not making this up. But I wonder if you've ever heard it preached. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this preached. Not that you've read it, you've heard it preached. I know you haven't. Because when I was around 25 years old, I sat like you were sitting there. Hey, I didn't get up here at 62 just because. The Lord prepared me for 25 years. I sat in that pew like you. I heard this message from my pastor. And I never heard it before. And I never have heard it since. Because what we do is we take everything out of context. Well, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. You don't write a letter to somebody and only read the middle of it. You read the introduction, you read the body, and you read the conclusion. You get the whole picture. Paul is doing that here. For I received from the Lord, I already told you how that happened, in the desert of Arabia, when he was called at the, off to the road of Damascus. He didn't go into ministry right away. It took him like 14 to 20 years before he got into preaching, before he went out to the world. The Lord prepared him. So he said, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, and saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I keep hearing in remembrance of me, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of me. Oh, you broken record, Pastor. Remember the record LPs back in my day? We put the little needle on it, would keep repeating, to keep repeating, keep repeating, keep repeating. Well, guess what? Paul's saying it over and over. And whenever the Holy Spirit inspires a writer in the Bible to repeat himself. He's saying to you first, hey, listen. And then he's saying it the second time, hey, pay attention to this. Why do we do this? It's right there in remembrance of him. But I want it to be in remembrance of me, me personally. No, it's not in remembrance of you, Sarah. It's in remembrance of Christ. It's not in remembrance. Oh, ah, but, 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 but uh, I got a testimony to share your testimony is his testimony. So let's just go with where the testimony belongs. In remembrance of me, right? And then he says, this is a new covenant. So there's where the Passover flips over into the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus is a Lamb of God who dies once for the sins of all mankind. Never to be 
performed again once for all. Sufficient, paid in full. And then he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Another time he says it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, what are we doing? We're proclaiming the Lord's death. We're proclaiming the Lord's death. Thus the cup, thus the wine. Until when? Until he comes. I'm so glad it's the first Sunday of the month so we can preach this. I've had it inside me boiling for a while. So notice what it says. As often as you drink it, so when you do, right, we're to look forward to doing it, right? You proclaim the Lord's death, so you're presently doing it. We're doing it as a church today in the present right? You, you proclaim the Lord's death, so what are you doing? You're looking in the past. What Jesus did in the moment, now, and you're doing it until he comes in the future. And then it stops. So this is something that's past, present, future. What are we doing? Proclaiming his death. We're looking back at the cross. We're celebrating the cross now. And we're waiting for the benefits of the cross. His second coming in the future. Awesome. What did my students say? Awesome sauce. It does not get better than this. So Paul is teaching what he received. Nothing more, nothing less he doesn't add to it. He doesn't take away from the word that was entrusted to him. This concept, I love it, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, is a challenge to every minister, every pastor, every teacher of the gospel, because what it does, it's something that he should be doing every time he comes up to this pulpit and every time he gets in front of a congregation or every time he writes a letter like Paul did. He says, this is what I received to the, from the Lord. This is what I'm giving you. And he wrote it. He wrote it down. Check, check this out. The origin of the message is from God. Right? So, what we see here then is that he brings context into it. Okay? We're talking about something that happened in the past. We're talking about... Give me a second here. I've got to turn this off. That's great. And just turn it off. There. Now, we have text here. We have a whole history of the nation of Israel with the Passover. We have the sacrifices that were made every year at the temple. And now we have Jesus who presents himself and he says, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. At least that's what John the Baptist said when he identified him walking on the side of the Jordan River. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world once and for all. So what I want you to show you here is what happens next. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, based on verse 26, which you guys saw up there, 
We are celebrating and we're using it as a powerful opportunity to confess our faith. Our faith in Jesus. By the way, when we, behind the screen we have a baptism, by the way. That's why I'm pointing over here. Every time someone's baptized, you're proclaiming that you have died with Christ and then you rise to walk in newness of life. You're making a testimony to the world of your relationship to Christ. That's what's, it doesn't save you. It says you're saved. Communion doesn't save you. It's a proclamation on your part that you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's what happened. Right? This, this ordinance that we take, that we just read about right there on the screen. We're confessing something that should never be forgotten. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? We're incorporating into our present activities as a church, confessing our faith in what Jesus did for us at the cross. So we should remember Jesus. Unfortunately, that's not always the case, as we saw happen here at the church of Corinth, right? We should remember Jesus, not have this crazy agape festival where they forgot about Jesus. Okay? So let's go one more step. Now this is where it's going to get a little dicey. Okay? Read with me verses 27 to 30. Here's where there has been a lot of error. Whoever, therefore, by the way I like to say who's a whoever? Whoever is a whoever. Everybody. Therefore, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Uh-oh. Unworthy manner? We'll get to that. Let that person examine himself so that, uh, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks, now here's the key, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment to himself. Well, we don't want to do that. So what does an unworthy manner mean? And how is it that I'm drinking judgment to myself when you do not, look at verse number 29, when you do not discern the Lord's body? When you're not thinking about what Jesus did for you at Calvary's cross. That's what it means. We'll get into it a little bit more. That's why, and then there were consequences for that. Verse 30, look at this. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Could be some people are sick because they haven't discerned the Lord's body. And some have even died. Oh, come on, Pastor. Let's just erase that from the Bible. That can't be possibly true. Well, that's what Paul says. Now, here it is. If we judge ourselves truly, this is going back to verse number 28 where it says to examine yourself. This is going back to verse 27 when it says that if you eat and drink of the, of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Then he says, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we, we would not be judged. Ah. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, 
it goes on to say, and I think at verse 32, we'll stop, and I want to talk about this for a few seconds. Using this verse, many churches, many think that the examination that's taking place here is that they're not worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let me say that again. Many people, many churches, many pastors use these verses for you to think that you have to examine whether or not you're worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. That's not what it says. Why? They want to change it and they want to make this a place of guilt and they want to make it a place of fear. Listen carefully to how people use guilt and fear to control you. Happens in politics right now with the elections coming up. Guilt and fear to control the church. So if you're not worthy, you shouldn't take you better examine yourself. That's not what it says. Not even close. Because they're wrong. And you know what the fact of the matter is? Here goes. You ready? No one is worthy. What? No one is worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Well, then what do we do? Oh, we acknowledge that we're all sinners and we've been saved by grace, right? Through faith because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary's cross. That's what we do. And we understand that he's worthy, but we're not. Now, here's what happens in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to use three examples. It's like if you were sick, and you go to your doctor, and he says to you, you know what, Armando, or you know what, Sam, or you know what, you guys out there, I want you to get better, I want you to get well, and then I want you to come and see me. Well, then why would I need to go see him if I get better and get well if he's a doctor? Or it's like, for instance, you go to a bank and you need a loan. And you talk to the bank lender, the loan lender, and you're poor. And you say to him, hey, I want a loan. And then he says to you, well, I want you first to get some money. And then when you get some money, come see me. And you're like... What would I need? That's why I'm coming to you. To get money. No, but go get money first. Huh? Or, maybe someone's hungry. And they come to you and they say, Hey, could, could you feed me? Could you help me? And, then, and you say, Well, I want you to gain a little weight first. And then I'll feed you. What? See, the Lord's Supper is the place... For people who are sinners. It's a place for people who have weakness. It's a place for people who are tempted. See, if we say we have no sin, 1 John 1, 8 says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 says, My children, these things I write to you that you do not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For he is the propitiation for our sins. 
So the Lord's Supper is the place where you go knowing you're a sinner, knowing your condition, and you say to the Lord, Lord, I need you. I need to participate in this sacrament, knowing that I will be forgiven, that I am forgiven, and I celebrate that now with you. Hmm. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. No, we're not worthy. Let me give you an example of the original Passover. Remember, I talked about it a minute ago with the Passover. When the death angel passed by, the death angel did not look into everyone's home and investigate and examine whether or not they were worthy. He only did one thing. He looked to see if the blood was on the doorpost. And if it was, he passed over them, not condemning them and the firstborn. And they were all saved because of faith in obeying what God had instructed them to do. He did not look inside the house. You could have gathered in all the sinners of the neighborhood and they would have been saved. Because they trusted in the word of the Lord. And they trusted in the blood of the Lamb. Or, for instance, when someone would bring a, a, a sacrifice to the temple once a year. Once a year. And you would bring them, and then the priest would look, take a look at it. And then uh, uh, the, the priest, when he looked at the sacrifice, he didn't do this. And I'm going to give you an example. He didn't bring the Lamb. You didn't bring the Lamb. The priest didn't go like, saw the Lamb, and then... Ignored the lamb and started looking at you. Let me see your teeth. Let me look into your eyes. No, they looked at the lamb and the lamb was without blemish. Then the lamb would be offered. The person who was a sinner would get the forgiveness. Never investigating or evaluating the person who brought the lamb. Only the lamb that was brought. So in either way, that's what's happening sometimes when this verse people talk about. And I'll read it again. Look what it says there. I'm going to point it out right here. If you do it in an unworthy manner. What's that mean? Unworthy is an adverb. Now a little bit of grammar. An adverb modifies the verb. The adverb modifies the action that you're taking, not the actor. So by doing it in an unworthy manner... It's when you're not looking at the Lord. It says it there. You are not, what? Without discerning the body. Whose body? Jesus' body. Right? So, when Paul says that no one should take the Lord's Supper unworthily, He's addressing those church members that were partaking it without thinking about what it really meant. And he was referring back to the agape feast. They just went in there and they were drinking and they were eating and they were embarrassing and humiliating the poor, but they weren't thinking about Jesus. That's what it says. The context is that it's not the condition of the person that's being examined. It's whether or not the person is looking at Christ. It's his actions. Unworthy manner. How you take it. Not who takes it. Amen? 
how you take it, not who takes it. Because if it's whether or not you're worthy, we have been doing it wrong from the beginning of the church. Because no one is worthy. Jesus is worthy. And if I look to him and put my trust in him, then I am declared righteous, not because of my merits, not because of my works, not because I kept the law, which I haven't, and neither can you, but because he kept the law, the unblemished Lamb of God, because he is worthy, and we are found in Christ by faith. And so when the Father looks at you and I, having put our faith in Christ, he's looking through the lens of Christ at you. He doesn't see you because he can't see you, but he can see you in Christ. He covers you with his righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness that's been applied to you, credited to your account. It's like if you woke up one day and all of a sudden you found $1.5 billion in your account and you won the lottery. You don't even know how. Well, you put your trust in the person and he decides to deposit the money in your account. It's not your money. It's someone else's. Well, it's not your righteousness. It's someone else's righteousness that's applied to you. By faith. Because of his grace. So to do it in an unworthily manner is, it's not an adjective. It's an adverb. Adjective qualifies the quality of the person. Pastor Robert is handsome. The adjective there is handsome. How, what is he? He's handsome. What's mean to, what, how do we do it when we use an adverb? We're modifying the act not the actor. So, let's finish this up. Whoever eats and drinks without correctly discerning the Lord, the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment for himself. What did you, what did you, what did you do without? What did you not do? You did not discern the Lord's body. Not discerning what the bread means. Not discerning what the, the wine represents. Not discerning what the whole event meant. It's interesting. The bread and the wine are used figuratively. So let's get to it. Not literally. Some people believe it, it's transubstantiated. It actually turns into the body and it actually turns into the blood of Christ. Not true. It's figurative. What do they tell us? What does the bread tell us? What does the wine tell us? Well, bread is produced by grounding grains and then baked in a fire. You take the grain, you smash it. Wine is produced by crushing grapes. Isn't it interesting that even those two things speak of Jesus being crushed as Isaiah 53 says. He was bruised for our iniquities. On him fell what? All of our sins. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. Men hid their faces from him it says. 
Surely he bore our sicknesses and bore our sorrows. Nevertheless, we consider him scourged, wounded by God and afflicted. So the bread and the wine speak to us of Jesus' crushing death at Calvary's cross. What he could he have done so horrible to die such a horrible death? Nothing. Because he went there representing you. He is the sin offering. So that's why we take the Lord's Supper. Praise the Lord. He is worthy. And if we go to the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do right now, and we do it with a grateful heart, we continue to declare and confess that what happened, his redemptive work at the cross, is more than enough to make us be able to have a right standing with God the Father. All because of what Jesus did. So, we're going to do the opposite of this this morning. We're not going to do it without discerning. We're going to discern his body when we take the Lord's Supper. What does the discern mean? We're going to analyze. We're going to examine. We're going to assess. We're going to acknowledge and receive it as such. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing less. There's no magic in here. There's just a confession that he is enough. Whatever your sins are, Past, whatever your sins are, present, whatever, ooh, and someone may not like this, but I'll say it anyway. Whatever your sins are, future, are all covered by the blood of Jesus. So let's discern the Lord's body. Who's going to help me this morning? Samuel? Who else? Hermano? And let's take the Lord's Supper. Those of you that are watching online, uh, I hope you got something prepared. If you don't have juice, just use water. It's okay. But the point is it's symbolic. Get bread, then get a cracker. Don't have a cracker, grab a cookie. Something mushed, mashed. We're going to do the Lord's Supper first, Sammy. So we can take this little thing off. Let's, let's pray uh, closing the, the sermon, and then we'll go to the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you. Thank you because we can read in your word clearly without any confusion of what Jesus has done for us at Calvary's cross and how our focus, how our eyes, our thoughts should only be on him. We come, Lord, understanding that we're not worthy, never will be, never could be, but that Christ is the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God who absorbed on his body the iniquity of us all. On him fell the judgment and the condemnation we deserved. And we walk away free, rescued, delivered, and redeemed, all because of your Son. So it is he who we see this morning, and only him. And it's he who we, we remember and think about. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.